Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another edition of the Mickey Blog Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Talbot, alongside David Mumpower. Once again, David has been on several episodes of the Mickey Blog Podcast, and we always enjoy him joining us. He's extremely educated on all things Disney, but especially topics like the one we're discussing today, as well as the topic of films, which we have had him on to discuss a few times in the past, including recently, um, episode 60, we had him on to talk about how Disney can bounce back at the box office and dominate again, talked about the MCU. It was a great conversation. So if you haven't listened or watched that episode, go check that out. Having said that, I want to give a little background on David, and if this is a new episode to you, David Mumpower is uh, is one of our biggest writers, most um, accomplished writers, but he has also written 10 million words about Disney over the past decade, probably more than that at this point, and the author of Disney Demystified Volume 1, as well as Volume 2, as well as Behind the Ride. He's the chief content officer at Mickey Blog and co-host of his own podcast, Streaming Into the Void. Uh, he's also someone who's been quoted on subject matter expert in the film industry hundreds of times by sources like USA Today, CNN Money, and so forth. He's a Disney fan whose favorite movie is Sword in the Stone, and his favorite ride is Spaceship Earth. You know, David, I know you don't love it when I do that intro, so I'm just going to keep doing it um, just just to really loosen you up before each episode. I don't really like to talk about myself, but I will happily talk about Spaceship Earth or the Sword and Stone as much as you want. <laughs> hey, it's okay. I don't like to uh, rewatch or re-listen any episodes of my own, so I'm that's I I can totally relate to that. But uh, thank you so much for coming back on. Um, obviously. You're very busy these days with the constant stream of Disney news going on over at Mickey Blog, uh, as we are very busy pretty much always because Disney news never stops. Um, we have our down periods. We have our slower seasons, but um, those seasons really felt slower in the past. It's it's getting it's getting less and less slower as we've gone on. Um but today's topic really isn't about any of that. Today's topic is specifically about Bob Iger, um, because the first episode we ever had you on was actually our second episode ever. Uh, we jumped right into one of the biggest Disney stories ever, uh, and that was Bob Iger coming back as CEO, and uh, Bob Chapek, of course, being fired at the time, being let go. So that was a huge episode. Because, you know, we, we basically just jumped right into it. We we had very little experience with this podcast specifically. I reached out to you and, and knew you were extremely educated in the business side of Disney and wanted to just sort of jump right into it and see how it went. Um, having said that, that was uh, about a year and three or four months ago now. So it's been some time since Bob Iger has returned. And the topic we want to discuss today uh, for our listeners and viewers who, you know, maybe maybe didn't fully read the title. I don't know. I'm sure you know what we're about to talk about. Uh, but the main topic we're talking about today is how good of a job he's done since he's returned. And beyond that, who could possibly succeed him someday, how those success and succession plans could come to fruition, um, as well as a few other topics, such as the highlights of what he's done since he's arrived, uh, maybe the lowlights as well. Um, we're not going to, we're very positive on this podcast as, as many uh, people know. So we're not going to spend uh, a bunch of this episode really, uh, speaking negatively, but I do want to go over more specifics on Bob Iger's time here. Uh, since he's returned, we won't be discussing too, too much of what he did prior to his return. I want to emphasize that, uh, the focus of today's episode is how good of a job Bob Iger has done since he actually returned. Um, so let's, let's start right there, David. Obviously, um, a lot has happened since that <laughs> second episode that we recorded, um, over a year ago now. Um, but having said that, that's such a general question, right? Like how good of a job has he done? Um, so I guess in, in <laughs> layman's terms, do the best you can at, uh, you know, sort of giving an answer to that question. Um, obviously it's tough, but do, do, do your best, I guess. 
Imagine building an absolutely gorgeous mansion on quicksand. That's kind of what <laughs> Bob Iger's return has been like. He has mostly done a better job than pretty much anyone else on Wall Street could have done in running Disney. The problem is people didn't fully appreciate how much the pandemic damaged Disney until after the fact. And Bob Chappick, I'm not here to slam Bob Chappick, even though I will make the quip here or there. He was just in a, a situation where no one could have succeeded. It is as simple as that. And because he was in that position, he kept making short-term decisions that were hurting long-term plans at Disney over time. And Iger showed up and was like, all right, well, I picked my successor. We worked together for 10 years. Surely everything is great. Wait, what? And the joke I made the other day is it was the real-life interpretation of him walking into the this is fine meme. You know, if you want to talk about community, it's, you know, Troy returning with the pizza to learn that the entire building is on fire. Whatever metaphor you want to use here to just say Disney got real bad real fast. And Iger has been in what he is, you know, he'll call it the repair phase. He's been rebuilding things that should never have been broken in the first place. And that's not fun for anybody. And so when we reach this position where we look back and say, I mean, that was that would have been around Thanksgiving 2022 is when you and I and our friends who are no longer on the podcast were doing that. And one of the things that came up then, it was so merciless the way it happened that Chappick was actually about to go live on Disney Plus and present. Elton John's final concert as a streaming product. And they were like, uh, don't go on stage. Some things have changed. It is hard to be more ruthless than that, realistically, to find out while you're in the backstage, you've been fired from your dream job. It was necessary. Iger has since realized just how bad everything was. And he had all of these little minor decisions that kept adding up, adding up, adding up. And overall, he realized... There are ways this could have gone $50 billion worse for Disney, and I don't think I'm exaggerating with that number. So the fact that Disney is now treading water and it is currently pointing in a more positive direction speaks very highly of Bob Iger. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, lots of people get caught up in things like the stock price. Right. And, and, you know, these things are so much more complicated than just numbers and where things stand. Um, I will agree with you in the sense where not, not, not many, if anybody at all could have succeeded uh, during that era in which uh, Bob Chapek was in charge. However, um, I, I think we can both agree that there was a number of decisions that were made during that era that were certainly not crowd pleasers. Um, so, you know, that's actually something that uh, I guess I would think of it as almost an easier way to start winning backs of fans is almost undoing some of these things that were done during the previous regime. So um, let's talk about that for a second, because we've seen uh, that was one of, I guess, if you want to call it a highlight uh, of, you know, Iger's, you know, return since he's come back is undoing some of these things. And, and, it, and the things that I'm referencing are things like, you know, return of all day park hopping, which just did return, um, you know, things such as no longer paying for parking on Disney resorts, think, things of that nature that were not exactly popular decisions when they were announced. Um, however, when you look on the flip side of that, you think about it and you're like, okay, how much did Bob Iger really do there? Or did he just kind of undo what should have never happened? Which I guess is technically doing something. But it's it's a little confusing because it probably never should have happened to begin with. Uh, Welcome to the world of big business, yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fascinating as someone who isn't as invested in that side of the uh, the media world as you are. Um, for me to sit back and watch a lot of this stuff, um, because obviously covering these things, it's a part of my job. I'm a theme park reporter. I have to know these things. But at the same time, 
um, you're more of an expert on that side of the business. So, so, you know, could you speak a little bit about that, that in specific when it comes to sort of undoing some of the things that did happen? And, um, I wonder how those sort of decisions might've come about outside of just, Hey, uh, go on Twitter and look at how many people are angry about this. <laughs> like maybe we should change that. I don't know. Yeah. So stay tuned. I'm going to hot tag you in a second because part of this is your expertise. But one of the things I always said about Bob Chappick is he had a problem and a personal weakness and he couldn't help himself. And the problem was every time Disney needed money during the pandemic, and it happened a lot, there was one button he could push to generate cash immediately. And that was the raise prices at the theme parks button. And he pushed that and pushed that and pushed that so much mm -hmm. so that, you know, he was like a hospital patient who really wanted their drugs. You know what I'm saying? He just. <laughs> and when we start looking at what Iger has done, and also we should give credit where it's due, what Josh Tomorrow has done is Tomorrow loves Disney. He loves Disney the way you and I love Disney, not like a, a business person would. He is someone who actually came up the right way and cares deeply about what's happening at the parks. And given the fact that there were rumors that he was ready to leave Disney under Chappick, you could tell he was uncomfortable with what the decisions were. And so we're looking at it now, and you're mentioning a couple of examples. And on January 9th, wasn't there like a joy knowing that you could park hop whenever you wanted, that you didn't have to worry about these new fees? There was a thrill for me in knowing that I could finally buy the Disney dining plan again, because that has bothered me since 2020. So when you were like, seriously, I know you were at the parks today. Isn't it just nice knowing you can go where you want with the theme park tickets you've paid for? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, when it comes to what I do um, and cover the parks full time, which means I'm in the parks three to five days a week, minimum really uh for for the stories that are consistently dropping in Walt Disney World uh one of the toughest parts of my job which sounds it doesn't sound tough at all to to really most people listening they're like Jared don't don't complain about things like this i understand it's a very trivial thing to complain about um but when i would try to cover a story let's say i was at magic kingdom but then a big story dropped over at Animal Kingdom. I could not go in there until 2 right. o'clock. And oftentimes, I ran over there at 11. So I'm just sitting around thinking, what am I doing now? Uh, you know, so obviously I had to stop running over there at 11. I had to fill up my time, you know, to, to do what I had to do. But that's not really why I bring this up. The reason I bring this up is I'm, I'm you know, working for a Disney blog, right? I'm not a paying guest. I'm not someone who spent tens of thousands of dollars possibly on their Disney vacation or even just thousands of dollars or maybe even hundreds of dollars on just that one day, whatever it is. I'm not one of those regular paying guests, right? I'm covering the parks for my career. So the reason I bring that up specifically, David, is the amount of times that I've stood outside of a park right around 145 and just seen all these people waiting to be let in because they want to park hop. And I think to myself, how many of these guests essentially wasted valuable time of their, of their park day, just sitting there, waiting there, standing there, whatever it is. It, it, to me, from the very beginning, it wasn't a very smart move. And, and I just, I've never fully understood it. I understood it for a brief amount of time, and that was only during park reservation systems when it first came out and they were managing crowd levels during the pandemic. Right. Uh, however, it just to be frank, it's been years now since we needed to really get past that, that rule. Um, so I am extremely glad that the park hopping rule is no longer in effect, and, and I find it... Uh, I find it a very good, good thing, a very big win for guests of not just the, the annual pass holders like myself, who are there all the time, right. uh, but for the everyday guests more than anybody, because that's the, that's frankly the people who Bob JPEG himself 
was always talking about that's who we want to market towards. We want to market towards the family who's spending $10,000 in a week. You know, he was basically on the record saying things like that. So you're not, you weren't making those people happy by this, this kind of rule that you just flat out weren't. And, and you could say, okay, well, most family, most families are spending one day in one park, but that's not always the case. A lot of people park hop, a lot of them. So <laughs> it's a, it's a great rule. Uh, it's a great thing that the rule is, is gone. Um, and we're moving exactly, on. And that's what we're looking at here because I have been on the other side of that. I live in Tennessee. So when we go to Disney, it's a big deal. And one of the low lights we had during our Disney trip during the pandemic, which I, I cannot say this enough. Disney did a remarkable job with how it handled the parks during the pandemic. Does not get anywhere near enough credit for that. But there was a morning where we were at Hollywood Studios and everything went wrong. And we just sat on park. Uh, we sat at a table near Pizza Rizzo and just waited for 45 minutes until we could do something else because it was too crowded. Uh, people were not honoring social distancing at the time, which, you know, bothered me. And on top of that, just there was nowhere else we could go because even though we were annual pass holders paying for Park Harper, we couldn't use it right then. And so when I hear things like that, all the things you're discussing, here's the flip side you didn't mention. You paid more for those annual passes than you would have three or four years ago. And I mean a lot more because that is, and again, I'm not trying to slam the guy. I really understand the decision-making, but that was the Chappic effect. So what Iger got to take credit for was he looked and said, all right, we need easy wins, which is what I was saying when he came back. That should be his first topic of conversation. What are the things we can do that we can live with financially, but that will show people we're listening? And you're saying it's been a while in the pandemic. Well, the worst absolute time for the pandemic was technically January 2022. And that was when there was like, you know, like an out of nowhere suddenly arise. But even if we like allow for that, that is still two full year, years ago. And we haven't seen a change until the week we're recording this podcast, which is, you know, still not great. But it's another example of. They very calculatedly picked the wins that were viable, and then there are some they didn't because, let's be honest, we're two weeks removed from Disney Genie Plus costing the most it ever had, and it still sold out a lot, which means they took back the things that weren't making as much money, but they kept some of the initiatives that did. And that is yeah. the genius of Bob Iger is – he can make these sorts of, and I'm going to, I'm going to call them an impolite word, but let's say ruthless decisions that still make people feel really good about themselves. Yeah. I think, you know, to be frank, it's kind of, uh, there, there's a lot of comparisons for exactly what you're talking about and, and many circumstances, you know, so, sometimes, uh, I like to reference just the oldest phrase in the book. Do you want the good news or the bad news first, you know? And oftentimes there's this bad news hanging out here, uh, but you'll, you'll sort of hide it with, uh, with, with, you know, dropping the good news first, which is totally, totally understandable. Um, and I think that brings me almost to uh, my next point, which is there are still things in place that people are not, exactly happy about especially at the park side of the coin theme park reservations for starters they now are gone kind of but still a thing for annual pass holders but not on but not a thing on good to go days which to me as i look at these annual pass holder like calendars when i'm making my own reservations for the park sometimes i'm looking at it i'm like somehow this just keeps getting more complicated I don't even know how that's possible, but now there's even more weird circles and, and green and yellow and gray. And I don't know which day, like it's, and I am a, I'm a full-time person doing this for a full-time career. So I can't imagine, you know, the everyday guest who goes to Disney once a year with their family, trying to look sometimes at these kind of things and realizing how complicated it's gotten. Genie Plus is one of those things where many people feel it has overcomplicated their Disney vacation. So there are many factors. There are many things that still exist that I believe 
from my point of view, Bob Iger could still, okay, we're going to change this. We're going to do this. And they could be, as you kind of poetically put it, almost like a layup, like a layup win for Bob Iger to win, you know, another little victory. Um, And the little victories add up and add up and add up. So it's almost like he's kept these little aces in his back pocket and he's selected very specific times to reveal them or, or when to pull them out. And and I think that's really fascinating to me as we continue forward, because there's a lot of time left, uh, you know, until the eventual successor, which hopefully goes better this time around. We'll talk about that later. But either way, it's it's just a fascinating wrinkle here, which you brought up is he did have from the get go almost layups, almost these little circumstances, situations that he could sort of undo that would make it look like these are big wins, right? But in reality, he's just undoing what did happen before. Um, But either way. I'm really, really proud of you for what you're saying right now because you're realizing something and it hasn't happened yet, but you're kind of envisioning the future because you're absolutely right. There's still four or five little wins out there that he can pull off. But they didn't want to do too much change at once, because if you do all of it at one time, which we kind of did on January 9th, people take it for granted. But if you do one every three or four months, it seems like you're really trying gradually over time, which means at some point, probably pretty soon, I'm just speculating, Disney Genie Plus will go back to where you can reserve it ahead of time, which for people who are out-of-towners, that is just... It is maddening to me we can't do that right now because the thing I talk about, the 7 a.m. struggle, the reason why I mention is because the kindest person I know is my sister-in-law, Patty. And there was a time where we went out to dinner with her after she had just gotten back from Disney. And I mean, they go all the time. They've actually been twice in the last four months. But during the pandemic, she came back and she just said, I'm going to talk for a while, which if you knew how out of character that was for her, you'd realize she was just raging about how much you have to do before 7 a.m. to enjoy a trip to Disney. And that should not happen. And these are the fixes that still haven't completely been taken care of yet. And they're just going to dole them out whenever things are looking a little grim so that, you know, (laughs) you take your carrot with your stick. Yeah, no, it's one of those things that I think from an outside perspective, you don't always notice. But one thing I've learned from being in this industry is timing is a big deal with certain announcements. There's a reason why uh, for the for the everyday listener or fan of Disney out there, um, there's a reason why sometimes you'll get uh, a few major Disney stories in a row, right? And then all of a sudden you'll get this bad news Disney story on the same day or the day before, the night before, or the the morning after, because they want these things to be bunched up together sometimes because they want you to be distracted. They don't want you paying attention. They don't want to wake up at 9 a.m. on a Monday and go, here's this really bad news story. Pay attention to it all week. We're not going to talk about anything else. We want you to say bad things about our company for the next week. Trust me, there's not a CEO on the planet who wants that. So with that being said, they're going about it in a very strategic manner. And it's like this in almost any other business, right? It's like this on, you know, literally entertainment. It's like this in movies. It's like this in in most things. When, When Disney or Warner Brothers or Paramount, any of these companies likes to report their box office earnings, they're going to try to focus more on the positives and the negatives. They don't want to focus on the movie that just bombed. They want to talk when Warner Brothers is talking about their films. Do you think they want to talk about the the films that are bombing or do you think they want to talk about Wonka, which is turning out to be a huge hit for them? They want to talk about Wonka. It's very simple. Okay. Uh, but it's something that absolutely applies to this exact circumstance with Bob Iger specifically, obviously going to take those wins where he can get them. And honestly, who could blame him? Who could blame Disney for that at all? Um, but more than anything, we should be giving credit to Disney should be giving some credit to Bob Iger for still partaking in these things because just because they're easy, just because they're layups, just because they're obvious doesn't mean he had to do that. Doesn't mean Disney had to do that. 
I mean, we could be sitting here all with the same exact reservation systems, the same genie systems, the same exact park hopping rule till 2 p.m. All these things could still be the same. People could be paying the same amounts for parking at resorts, but they happened. So I do want to, you know, give Bob Iger credit and give Disney credit for making those decisions. Um, however, I want to sort of switch gears here, David, because I want to talk about, you know, um, some of the other highlights that that Bob Iger and the team has partaken in. But before I do, I do want to stop here for a second, just to mention, as always, that this episode of the Mickey Blog Podcast is sponsored and brought to you by Mickey Travels. Mickey Travels is a nationally recognized leader in Disney vacation planning. They are diamond earmarked by Disney and their services are always 100% free. Reach out to Mickey Travels today for a free quote on your Disney vacation at MickeyTravels.com. That's MickeyTravels.com, making magic one vacation at a time. Just recently, they were awarded the diamond earmark status for the second year in a row. You really could not be going to a better travel agency when it comes to planning your Disney vacation and their services. Again, are 100% free to use. So you could book your own Disney trip or you could have these amazing Disney experts plan and book your trip for you at zero additional costs. It's really a no-brainer. Um, so switching gears here, David, um, I want to talk, uh, again, I want to I talk uh, about some of the other highlights that, that Bob Iger has on his resume um, since taking back over the role. Um, for example, there's uh, situations such as stopping the bleeding with streaming, um, how he handled Reedy Creek, um, the fun Nelson Peltz situation, um, and and things of that nature. Uh, but but I want to talk about some of these things because uh, you you have your own notes and a few more than just those listed. So, uh, what are some of the highlights that come to mind for you? Um, outside of the the layup victories that we already talked about. So when we talk about the Nelson Peltz thing, um, it's such a weird situation in that that was Bob Chappick not recognizing the danger and not realizing how much other people valued controlling the interests of the Walt Disney Company. And so while Chappick was struggling and he was worried Disney might fire him because, you know, the numbers weren't great. The stock price wasn't where people wanted it to be. He started looking for friends and allies anywhere he could. And one of those people, regrettably, was Nelson Peltz, who he reached out to because it had been suggested to him by Isaac Ike Perlmuter. And Perlmuter is someone... Um, at the end of the day, we have the Marvel we have because of Perlmuter. And Disney's acquisition of Marvel is really is right there with Pixar for the best. I know you're a Star Wars person, but I'm just talking about financially. Um, what Marvel has done under Disney is theoretically impossible. It really is. It's something that has to happen in nature because if you try and plan it, it can't. And so what happened was. Perlmuter, everyone who worked for him, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people who worked for him did not like him. And he's a notorious penny pincher straight down to their stories about him taking uh, used paper clips out of the trash. So, I mean, he, he cares about cutting budgets. That's, that's not a joke. That's a real thing. And so you start realizing how he would like Chappick because Chappick cares uh, about money first and foremost as a leader. And, you know, to a certain extent, that's how you become a Wall Street of a Fortune 50 company. Um, a CEO of that company is, you know, you do prioritize financials. We were just discussing Iger does. He's just smooth about it. And so what happened was they invited the danger in and the board of directors is just mortified watching it. Like you, you talk to who they want to do what? No, no, no. We, we want no part of that guy. He's a manufacturing. That's, uh, you know, that's a thing Disney does really, really well. They get their own clothes out fantastically. You know, there's a reason Disney merchandising is the gold standard. The last thing they need is interference there. That's just somebody who's going to mess it up. Iger comes in and he makes several brilliant moves to stop Pelts and head him off before he can actually get board membership. And it was masterful what he did. 
It, it absolutely was. The problem was there were things beyond Iger's control financially, which means Peltz looked at this like, if you know anything about um, how Wall Street work, uh, works and you understand profit taking, Peltz basically bought low on Disney, came in, raised a stink, and then sold most of his shares. And then after, you know, the shares had topped out at the level he expected them to, he waited for what naturally happens with these things where there's an ebb and flow. He waited for the stock price to drop again, and then he gradually bought more and more and more. And so he reportedly made $150 million from his nonsense last time, and so he's trying it again, and you cannot blame him. And it sounds like Pearl Muter and him just hang out in Florida, and they have lunch together, and they talk about how kids today don't understand how to run companies, the kids today being the 70-something by Iger. Um, I don't know. A lot of it is, you know, it's weird. Uh, there's no way to say it. But what Iger probably shouldn't have done with the benefit of hindsight was he should not have fired Perlmuter with the layoffs because that was an icy move, and I loved it. I cheered it on. I'm not going to lie about that. But billionaires don't like to be humiliated, and Perlmuter is a notoriously private person who was publicly humiliated. You can imagine how well that has gone over with him, just like you can imagine how much Peltz has loved hearing that he got beaten like this. So they're back again, and that's caused Disney to do some things. But Disney's decision-making has remained strong throughout all of this. They've just made a deal with uh, Value at, at Capital and with Blackwells. And you all don't need to know the specifics of that. But the gist is they're going to nominate board members who actually have things to do with the digital marketplace. Nelson Peltz is famous for making, this isn't really a joke, mustard and ketchup bottles, um, that sort of thing. He's a manufacturing guy. What can he do to help with what you're mentioning here with making Disney streaming more financially profitable? Nothing. How many 80-year-old people are you going to go, hey, tell me everything you know about how to use an app? I mean, I'm not being mean here, but the technology works the other way where we help People older than us use the things and they just want to bungle their way in because they're powerful and people don't say no to them as a rule. And Iger is doing everything he can to defer that. And they have just brought in, they previously suggested they were going to bring in two, one of whom I, I love because he is an actual sir. So they're going to have sir so-and-so on Disney's board of directors, which is just cool to me. He worked for Sky, the latest people they've nominated one of them actually worked for Warner Brothers Discovery, still does if I'm looking at it, previously worked for NBC Universal. These are people who understand a digital landscape, how the media world works. Another person was the co-founder of TaskRabbit, which if you're familiar with the TaskRabbit app, it's excellent. I mean, it always was. Just a very bright person. Disney is bringing people who understand what needs to happen for the business 10 to 15 years from now. You've got enemies who are, you know, elderly and bored and have too much time who are trying to bully their way in financially. And it appears that once again, Iger is going to push them down. As a matter of fact, I was reading a piece on Yahoo Finance that said the already long odds of Pelt succeeding have gotten even longer. Iger has an amazing ability, and I'm kind of in, in awe of the guy about this, where no matter how grim it gets, he keeps his wits and that's a rare, profound skill. And that's, you know, why many people, when he retired, called him the greatest modern CEO. He's, he's earned that. And while there have been a few times I've kind of looked and went, has he lost his fastball? I mean, Jared, just from a cursory evaluation, do you think he's lost his fastball? Um, I don't necessarily think he's lost his fastball. Do I think he's in his prime? No. Uh, I, <laughs> It, you know, kind of to compare it to sports or compare it to a movie franchise, like the original trilogy is the greatest that Star Wars is ever going to get, in my opinion. There's things that happen afterwards that's good. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but that's the peak of its powers, in my opinion. And it's the same thing with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. When I think about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I, I think the greatest that's ever going to be is when the era of Infinity War and Endgame and, and that you know, franchise was at its peak or, or lots of golden ages of Disney animated films and Disney animation. Um, I'm trying to put this in terminology, if you can't tell, 
that's more simple for the average listener, viewer, and person to understand. Because sorry, yeah, uh, because when you think about um, you know Iger and you think about some of the things he's done since he's come back, I. I think for the most part, he's done a lot of really great things and, and really good things and gone about a lot of things in a very smart way. Um, but your if question could, about the one ahead. thing that he's done that's most important is Iger is making sure that Disney's current board of directors controls who succeeds him as CEO. Because, I mean, you know. <laughs> Pelton Perlmuter's big idea is Jay Raslow. Well, Disney already tried that once and they very specifically decided, you know what, you should go away from the company now. And I don't mm -hmm. think he got any better at it in the eight or 10 years he was away. You know what I'm saying? It's not like somebody goes out of the limelight for a while and usually improves. So that's, that's something we really need to credit Iger for is he is protecting the brand. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, the biggest focus for him, to be honest with you. And it's something he's spoken about on multiple occasions in interviews or, or sit downs, um, some of which that have gone well and some of which that haven't. And we'll talk about some of that next. But um, he has talked about in some of these sit downs that he is, you know, focusing heavily on ensuring that the succession goes better this time around. He's very serious Supposedly. about that. Uh, because that's got to be a part of his legacy, right? I mean, when you look back on Bob Iger's term, his first term, his first time as CEO, uh, to be frank, it it was an all time run. It was uh, it was amazing decision left and right. It was incredible deals signed, sealed, delivered by brands like Marvel and Star Wars and land expansions and park expansions and. All these incredible things that happen one after another. Um, but then, you know, people kind of soured on him a little bit because of the decision of the succession and how things happen after he left. And I think he heard that noise. I, I, there's no way he wasn't listening to that stuff and thinking, I got to go fix this. Let me go back. Let me fix this. And I'm not saying that's the reason he came back. I'm saying that that played, it, it could have played a role. So for me, as we look forward, I think he's taking that whole next chapter extremely seriously. Um, you just spoke about it with, you know, um, with the board and everything of that nature. Um, but let's shift gears a little bit. This is a section of pure speculation. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about succession um, and how things go because, you know, frankly, none of us knows anything, right? I mean, even when we think we know something, something else happens. That's kind of the beauty of this industry, really. It's the beauty of most industries in the media world. Many people think this is the story I'm going to cover today. And then something else drops. And that's not at all what you're planning on covering today. Um, but I do think it's important to to talk at least briefly about how succession um, is going about, how how we think that will go, where we think things go. And, um, you know, you don't have to, David, you don't have to get into specifics on even names, really. Uh, but what are the what are the important factors as we as we move towards that next era um, to ensure we're not having CEOs taking two year hiatuses and being like, hey, I'm back. Uh, let me let me fix a few things here and then maybe I'll go uh, because I don't think that's a great long-term strategy. And I think most people would agree with that. So, so what are your thoughts on that whole topic? I think that off my head, I could think of three different media CEOs slash chairman of the board who worked into their nineties. Uh, one of whom actually had to have their power legally stripped away from them because that's how unwilling they were to let it go. So when we talk about succession with Bob Iger, I always do it in air quotes uh, because it is a theoretical. The only reason why I think he really might leave is he did leave once before. Now, we can do conspiracy theories here if we want. He left at a very convenient time for him, and it did not work out well for his successor. And that successor, by the way, was not the person that in November of 2019, I, I wrote an article about who everybody thought it was going to be, which was Kevin Meyer, and then they chose... Chappic. And that's why the conspiracy theories are never going to go away is based on what had happened recently, Meyer was the hot candidate. So we kind of look around and when we have those discussions, we see just how challenging it is to be CEO of Disney. 
I mean, Jared, you think about it. You've got the merchandising. You have to have somebody who understands merchandising, who understands high finance. You have to have someone who can run theme parks, and you have to have someone who has experience in entertainment, which proved to be Chappick's legitimate. One of his undoings was the fact he could not stop stepping on rakes when it came to Hollywood, especially Scarlett Johansson. Um, yeah. Just mistake after mistake after mistake along these lines, and now you've got to do streaming as well. So you need someone who can do all of these myriad tasks and finding someone up to the challenge. I mean, you're looking for a unicorn and I know that that's really worn out technology right now, but let's use a different term instead. You were looking for maybe seven people on the planet legitimately capable of doing this job. And Disney hopes it has somebody internal right now. And if it doesn't, we're starting to hear some names of some other people. And some of them are pretty wild. I mean, Last year, there was a fairly credible rumor that NBA commissioner Adam Silver was the potential CEO of Disney. <laughs> and they basically, that was, I'm pretty sure Disney being nice because they wanted to be corporate friends with the NBA. And it made Adam Silver look like a high, highly desirable and competent executive, which he is. So he didn't really need the praise. So it kind of makes me wonder, they weren't serious, right? Now we're starting to hear the same thing. There are whispers about a guy named Andrew Wilson. Andrew Wilson is currently, in my opinion, running electronic arts into the ground. Uh, the video game companies, top crown jewel video games, are universally derided. And everybody's going, boy, what's happened to, uh, to electronic arts over the last 10 years or so? But people think that Disney is ready to get into gaming, which means if you're ready to get into gaming hardcore, the person who's been running EA seems like a pretty good person to bring in as CEO. Then you have internal candidates. And I know you said not to name names, but I mean, the names are out there. We've got Dana Walden, who's the uh, co-chair co in charge of all Disney entertainment, kind of an important job. And also Walden was one of the people who kept Iger in the loop when he was out. They would have lunches together because they were neighbors or relative neighbors, and she has demonstrated loyalty to him, and Bob Iger someone who cares about loyalty. And then we have Josh Tomorrow, who is probably the most popular Disney executive of my lifetime. I'd be hard-pressed to name someone. I, I mean, you'll just, you'll just mention Josh Tomorrow's name, and eight people will chime in in the comments, like, let me tell you this wonderful story about Josh Tomorrow. I don't know if he was born in a major, but it kind of seems that way. But yeah. How good is he at money? And it sure seems like he let Bob Chappick push him around a lot. That's the challenge you face when you're talking about the next CEO of Disney. You have to find somebody who is not an invertebrate. They have to have a spine. Uh, that's actually one of the limitations Chappick had was he had a hard time saying no to Wall Street. When Wall Street wanted something to happen, that's when he was inclined to raise prices. Uh, similarly, a lot of what went wrong with streaming was him wanting to impress Wall Street. You need somebody who is more interested in the future of their company than the future of their career. There's a lot of things here, and these aren't sexy answers, I realize it, but these are the things you have to consider. And at the end of the day, if it's up to me, I just hope Disney does the right thing and pick, picks Josh tomorrow. Um, I'm actually about to do a Power Rankings update in another week or two. Uh, I've been picking at the pieces of it already. Dana Walden is my current number one in those Power Rankings. I'll go ahead and tell you right now just because it makes sense. But Jared, could you promote someone to CEO at Disney after the film slate Disney just had in 2023? Is that not somewhat Dana Walden's responsibility? Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, no. I mean, when we're talking about lowlights, really, of Bob Iger's, you know, return since he's gone back, it's impossible not to bring up the film slate, the box office performances, the, you know, the critical uh you know, um, reception to many of these films and quite frankly, uh, franchises that have fans wondering what's going on, that really that should never happen, especially underneath the Disney brand. So, um, I completely agree with you there. I think that 2024, which is what we just did an entire episode on, by the way, a few weeks ago, as I mentioned earlier, David and I did an entire episode on, you know, the 2024 film slate, how it is important for Disney to win this year, how they can dominate again. Um, but 
they really can't afford too many years like 2023 from a publicity standpoint, from a PR standpoint. Um, Forget about not being number one, the box office for the first time since 2016. I'm referencing from a PR, from a public relations, from a, from, from that standpoint. Um, So, so yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and on the Josh DeMauro side of the coin, um, one thing I wanted to sort of ask you, I guess, as someone who's um, very professionally follows this, and obviously you just spoke about how liked Damaro is, um, you know, do you think he could be sitting there thinking to himself, like, eh, do I want to jump into that? You know, like, is, is that worth my time? Because I'm I'm sitting here pretty cozy and liked right here. You know, um, so that's my first question. But also the next thing I wanted to ask you is how much of, you know, perception and how much of the PR side of the coin when it comes to tomorrow is an attractive quality when it comes to the next CEO? Because Disney, it's no secret, hasn't exactly Bob Iger included with his comments on the strikes uh, hasn't exactly been winning every public relations uh, victory uh, over the past uh, year, few years. Um, and we even saw Christine McCarthy's uh, famous uh, waistline comment that many people weren't weren't fans of. So, I mean, it felt like for a while, at least as someone who worked at Disney Media, I was sitting there thinking to myself, like, how many times are we going to have like really bad PR here? that could easily be avoided that doesn't need to happen um so that is a pro a point uh to demaro is he's very good at these things and he is very light and people really love him so sometimes when people have that preconceived notion of this guy's really great he's amazing um then it makes the bad news even feel less bad because people are like, well, I'm sure it wasn't all his decision and I'm sure there's more to it. And I'm sure there's, there's more than meets the eye. I'm sure you get what I'm sort of saying here, but um, the real, the real, uh, you know, points I wanted to, to talk about. So what can you say about all that? Your synapses are firing the right way. Uh <laughs> You've grown a lot since the start of the podcast. I'm impressed. Uh, You're absolutely right. Here's my counterpoint, and it is a devastating, brutal, and quick one. Can Disney really promote the parks chairman to CEO again after Bob Chapman? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It is every bit as devastating as what I'm saying about Dana Walden, where you look at the options on the board, and they're pretty hostile reactions against both. Tomorrow's popularity may carry him through. I'm going to say something weird now, and you're going to have to follow the logic, but I've put a lot of thought into this, an unhealthy amount of thought into this. The best thing that can happen for Disney fans in the long term is the worst thing that can happen to Disney fans in the short term, and that is if Josh tomorrow gets reassigned to run a different division of Disney. And the reason why is it would actually be Disney testing him to see whether or not he is capable enough to make success out of anything rather than the theme parks division. Let's let's be honest, due to what they're calling revenge travel, I hate that term so much, but due to that, Disney parks have reached unprecedented levels. And, you know, given what we just saw at Christmas and New Year's, it's not going away anytime soon. So he gets all the credit for that. But could anybody do that? Uh, he's beloved. He's popular. I don't want to, I don't want to diminish what he's done, but I want to say that there are apt criticisms of it because let's be honest, Chappet got promoted for many of the same reasons. When something succeeds and succeeds and succeed person gets credit for it, whether they're good at it or not. And so if tomorrow goes to a different division, that's going to make everybody sad about the parks for a while but it dramatically increases his chances of becoming CEO of Disney because if he can prove it, then Iger will have more confidence in naming a successor. And in terms of timeline, what we're probably looking at here, I would think Disney would want to announce something by mid 2025 if they are making a move in 2026, which means tomorrow would need to go somewhere else in 2024. And I know that there's a lot of parts there. It'd be easier if I showed it like a visual of that, but that's, that's where my head is at on it. 
But just to a larger point, I keep looking at Kevin Meyer, who clearly has still developed his relationship with Iger, and I just wonder, are they going to make this right? Are they going to bring Meyer back to run the show? And that makes sense, too. But you're starting to understand just how many different little pieces of this consideration there are. And for Bob Chappick, someone who hasn't felled often, I can tell you this. I, I can tell you the name of the director. <laughs> His name's Alvarez of the film that I misnamed two podcasts ago because I cannot stand when I make mistakes. I burn them in my brain when it happens because some people are like that. We burn that way where we need to get things right. And if we don't, we take it personally. Bob Iger messed up succession as badly as a human being can mess up succession. And I'm, again, not here to damn Chappick. He did what he had to do. It just, it, it went so, so wrong. And so, yes, I think he wants to bring in someone he's confident about. <laughs> Everyone loves tomorrow and I get what you're thinking, but I kind of, I'm worried if his personality almost works against him with Wall Street because Wall Street hates nice guys, just hates them. I mean, it's hurt my career for sure. Uh, you're supposed to be ruthless and throw people under the bus and then laugh as you hear them scream. That's what Wall Street wants. And that's kind of tomorrow being one of the kindest people at Disney in a way would cause issues if they promoted him. And I don't know if there's a great answer here. So what was you kind of, what other answers did you want on the topics? <laughs> so it's, it's almost, um, it's almost fascinating because really we've covered so much in this episode and, and frankly, we could really go on forever. And, and to be very frank with you, um, you know, it feels like we've made a lot of progress, but also could just be screaming into the void. That's not a personal shout out to your podcast title. But, uh, you know, regardless, it, it's interesting because we just spent a lot of time talking about so many different topics, right? And so much of it is speculation. And, and what happened when Iger first returned really was proof of that because that came out of nowhere. And nobody was expecting it. People had their theories, sure. People had their thoughts, and maybe he was getting bored and in Malibu or whatever. But that doesn't mean we all expected that to happen, especially with the Elton John thing and and all that with Bob Chapek. So it's really fascinating. But one of the things that I actually did want to touch upon here next, David, is is a few challenges that to me are on the horizon for anybody um, who takes over as CEO and. Um, I think, it's just my opinion here, I think people are underestimating how big of these challenges could really be. Um, and I'm referencing challenges more in the media world um, and in relation to the film business. I'm talking about, you know, films in general with Universal having the success they've been having in the film world with Warner Brothers starting to kind of rebound a little, little bit. Prior, not really, but kind of, but also the DCU being on the horizon here, um, I think is going to be a bigger threat to Marvel than people realize. I'm not saying eight it's going to- Eight times the charm, right? Eight times the charm. I mean, just I just think James Gunn is uh, it's been highly successful for Disney even specifically and uh, deserves really a lot of flowers for that. Um, but then on the other side of the coin- there's the elephant in the room with theme parks, and that's the impendingness of Epic Universe that is on the horizon. Now, we can sit here all day and say, okay, well, that'll be Universal's third theme park, and Disney still has four, and they still have water parks, and they still... Okay. However, that does not change the fact that this is rumored to be one of the most amazing theme parks uh, that's ever been created with some incredibly immersive lands with Nintendo World, which we just saw with Super Mario Bros. last year, just how successful that franchise is and can be. The other major IPs, such as Harry Potter, such as How to Train Your Dragon, such as Classic Universal Monsters, we're talking about a theme park that really could generate large amounts of people coming 
very soon from Disney's biggest competitor in the theme park industry. Um, so I guess I just wanted to wrap up the show. I wanted your thoughts on these few topics because we're talking about, you know, situations that are closer on the horizon than I think people realize. Um, and, and they're going to sneak up on us and, and Epic Universe will be open. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, will we see, will we see Disney react then? Do they react sooner? How does it all happen? Because as I look at the future, I see ideas, right? The blue sky ideas. What's beyond Big Thunder Mountain? Uh, what We don't know what's in Dino Land, but it could be this, and we think it's going to be this. Um, you know, that might not, that can only last so long, is what I'm saying, David, because you're going, you got a lot of fans over here in the Universal section who are not just getting what they want. They know when it's coming. And you got Disney fans over here who have gotten a lot of good stuff over the last five years. I won't deny that. A lot of amazing stuff. Um, however, people have short-term memory. So, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm just curious your thoughts on all that before we wrap up. I think that's interesting phrasing you use because let's turn this back. We're talking about short-term memory. How was Walt Disney World the last two weeks? Did it seem like it was in danger of being threatened by anything? No, you didn't hear not those at stories all. about Universal, did you? No, Universal not at crowded, all. but you know, <laughs> no. And it's a good so, point, a very good point. Um, I have gone ahead. Uh, I write for Universal Parks blog as well, and I have already done two articles that are in the publisher. They're not live yet. I, I'll space them out, but they're about what's happening at Universal in 2024. And I do go ahead and mention them. We should go ahead and include the two new hot hotels because they open in January and February of 2025, which might seem like it's a while down the road, but you know, it's 13 and 14 months, you know? Yeah. And so we're, we're looking at this and we're kind of going, Oh, that's forever away. And it's not. And you're absolutely right about that. And there will be some ramifications, but universal's goal here is not to top Disney and people need to recalibrate their ex expectations for that. Universal's goal is much simpler. It's to turn it from a two or three day park into a four or five day park. And that is the specific idea here is increasing people's vacation patterns. And let's be honest, it's also, even though they're adding Minions Land, it's still decidedly a more adult visit and they are targeting more singles than Disney does. I mean, actually, I don't even know if that's true. They're targeting singles. Disney does too in a different way. Um, so, I think with Disney, what we're actually waiting on more than anything else is Disney would like to see what Universal has in the queue. They, they would not mind if they found out some things about the parks ahead of time. Let's be honest, with corporate, corporate espionage, they probably, and friendships and relationships, they probably have a good idea of what's coming everywhere. I mean, I do, and I've got nothing to do with it. So um, I think that... Disney would like to see how well some of it works as informational for when they start building theme parks or when they start, let's say, building theme lands again. Um, but I don't think that's like in the top 10 things Disney should be worrying about. And I say that as someone who likes Universal, I'm not trying to be glib. I just know what the market shares are. And mm -hmm. I think that when we talk about, you know, Pepsi versus Kirk, Coke, Burger King versus McDonald's without getting into business terms too much. There's something called the challenger brand. It, Universal shouldn't care about what Disney's doing or vice versa. Universal is doing the best Universal has ever done, and there is not enough praise going toward them for it. Every quarter, they're breaking records for profit. And so it is a freight train of success, and the money train is pointing towards 2025. Disney just had quite possibly the best four-week period in its history. At a minimum, it's three weeks. And that's not me being hyperbolic. And Walt Disney World was a pretty popular place to begin with as the most popular paid tourist destination on the planet. Best ever yeah. for that is not anything anybody should be worried about. And that's why, you know, you should be talking to Mickey Travels right now because let's be honest, this is a great time to book a trip. The place is incredible. Yeah. The changes they've made over the last five years, we take for granted. We really do, but you are referencing them. I mean, you wrote an, uh, you 
posted something today that had me captivated. I was trying to figure out, like, you were at the Walt Disney World Railroad today, and you were posting pictures of it where there's a new entrance. And I'm trying to figure out, is that permanent? Is that the way it's going to work now with Tiana's journey? Or is this a construction thing? And I'm looking at that, and I'm puzzling because this is how much Disney is on our brains at all times because it's just that good. And things like the railroad signify Magic Kingdom. Mm-hmm. I cannot worry about Disney for that reason. Now, the flip side is Disney needs to announce some stuff just because it's gotten annoying. As a matter of fact, I, I did a, I think it was in my a few suggestions for Disney. I don't remember. Um, but the gist of it was they're using D23 the wrong way, and it bothers me. This is just my opinion. It certainly doesn't speak for Mickey Blog or Mickey Travels, but – that's supposed to be a place where major announcements are made, not where they go, eh, look at this, wouldn't that be nice? It is not for theoreticals. It is, we're doing Star Wars. We're doing Avatar, and we don't even own Avatar at this point. That's what I want D23 to be, and that is the path I want Disney to return to. Yeah, no, I mean, that's something we're in complete agreement on. Lately with the D23, it, it's always felt like I've been a part of the, the biggest focus groups in the history of mankind, where I'm sitting there and they're like, what if we did this? Thoughts? And then I almost feel like there's someone behind the stage, behind tomorrow, like taking notes on how big the crowd reacted to certain ideas and being like, yes, that's the one. That's the land we're going to build. Like. I understand where they're coming from and trying to excite people. I get it. And I can understand why that was especially necessary during a a very difficult time in the company. Uh, But at the same time, being realistic towards the future, especially with the impendingness of, you know, Epic Universe, I I agree with you. I think they do need to return to more announcement space. And it goes beyond just this. I mean, Star Wars Celebration was another one that was always about announcements. And oftentimes in recent years, it's been like, we're going to do these. And then the movies never happen or the shows never happen or, you know, nothing ever even materializes. Or even some days there's no announcements at all. And people thought there was going to be announcements or there's not a trailer at all. Like save those big trailers for things like that. Save things like that. That's there's a reason why so many people travel and want to pay money for these things. Um, but I agree with you on on almost everything when it comes to the whole Epic Universe question. And and I guess for me, before we wrap up, I just want to remind everybody that, and, and David brought this up as a Challenger brand topic, I want to remind everybody that competition typically brings out the best in people, okay? So there's not there's nothing wrong with having another competitor who's really good at things. I grew up in a household... Sorry, mom. It's true. I grew up in a household that we were pro Disney. We were Disney, Disney, Disney. We didn't go to Universal. Never went to Universal. We didn't go to SeaWorld. I didn't, I didn't do that, you know? But then I moved down to Orlando and I went over to Universal a few times. I was like, wow, this is pretty great. I like Universal. This is fun. And I go to both. I have annual passes to both. Okay. Um, I am also a contributor for Universal Parks blog. I, you know, these are things that, it's okay to like both, first of all. You don't you have should. to choose. And secondly, let me just say, once again, competition typically brings out the best in people. Tom Brady would, might not have been Tom Brady had he got drafted in the first round instead of the sixth round. There's certain things that rub people the, the right direction, and competition often does that. So I think, let's say I'm genuinely rooting Personally, I'm genuinely rooting for Epic Universe to be a great success because I think it's great for the theme park industry. And I think it's great for Disney, too, because Disney's sitting there and they go, "Okay, what's up our sleeve? And then you do have an arms race of not arms of of fun, of, of exciting, fun things coming our direction. I mean, that's incredible. So I think fans should try to remember that. Try to remember that. These things can coexist. We spoke about this, Alyssa and I, about uh, the Halloween events this past fall. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I love that Halloween both. Horror Nights. Think about it. Go to both. They're totally different and they can yes. totally coexist. And they do a great job at what they do. And that's, right. and that's you what's and I are great about love Epic Universe. We're going to love it. It's not going to make us any less of Disney fans. It's just, it's yeah. a great looking park. 
Exactly. So, and that's, that's really the, the main like last point I wanted to hammer home as we move forward towards Bob Iger successor, eventually, if that happens, when that happens, <laughs> whenever that happens. Um, and as we continue, yeah, <laughs> or as we continue on with, uh, Bob Iger being in charge. Um, so we hope more than anything, you guys enjoyed this episode. I want to thank David again for coming on. Always appreciate having David on the show. He does a phenomenal job. Um, and if you want to read up more on some of David's amazing articles, you can head right over to mickeyblog.com where he's publishing articles daily. Uh, and, um, you know, there's some very, very great reads. Some of the best reads, uh, in my experience, uh, come always from David. So we're very grateful, uh, uh, for him joining the podcast as always. And if you enjoyed this episode, we do hope you return for future episodes because the Mickey blog podcast drops new episodes every single Friday. Uh, we are in video format on YouTube. You can watch this in real time and, uh, learn in real time that David is uh, is much smarter and, and more eloquent than I am sometimes, and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> and then if not, if you want to listen, if you'd rather, I don't want to look at Jared, I get it. Uh, you can listen to our podcast on nearly all audio formats. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else. So we hope you continue to follow along with the Mickey Bog Podcast, where we drop fun and exciting Disney podcast episodes every single Friday. And regardless of all this, to stay up to date with all things Disney, please continue to follow along with us at MickeyBog.com. And you know, the social medias, which continue to grow. And we're super grateful for that. So thank you so much. As always, we will catch you guys next time on another edition of the Mickey Blog Podcast. Have a magical day.